So today, guys, we're going to be continuing the series that we've been going through on questions and answers, and we're going to be answering a question that's really near and dear to my heart, and that is, isn't the church responsible for injustice? Um, So this talk's going to be deep. This is going to be a more serious talk because, honestly, this is something that I know I've questioned before. I know a lot of people that have questioned it before, and really, this is something a lot of people really wrestle with. But before we really jump into the question, I, I want to lay a couple things out for this. Because this isn't just, I feel like when we hear the word injustice, we always think like really big. And I would say injustice is always big, but it, doesn't always, it might not always look big from the outside. But it can have a big impact on individual people and individual lives. Because when we're talking about injustice, we're not just talking about the things that we think of in history, but also modern abuse and even hypocrisy that we see in the church. But when we hear the question of, isn't the church responsible for injustice? We we need to acknowledge one thing before we even begin to go into it, and that's that the answer to the question is yes. The church is and has been responsible for huge amounts of injustice. So for those of us that believe in Jesus, who believe in the word of God, and are a part of this thing that we call the church, where does that leave us? So, before we seek to answer that question, let's just look at what God has to say about justice. Uh, I'm going to be going through a lot of passages in Scripture really quickly. So, if you have notes, just write them down. I don't expect you to turn to all of these. I have about uh, eight passages that we're going to look at um, in rapid succession. So, starting in Leviticus 19, verses 9 through 10. When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap the very edges of your fields or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over your vineyards a second time or pick up grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the foreigners. I am the Lord your God. See that God cares deeply about people who don't have a lot. Leviticus 19, 33 and 34. When a foreigner resides among you in your land, don't mistreat them. The foreigner residing among you must be treated as though they're native-born. Love them as yourself, as you were foreigners in Egypt. God cares about people who are far from their own home. Deuteronomy 10, 17-19. For the Lord your God is God of God and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner residing among you. Give them food and clothing, and you are to love those who are foreigners, for you yourselves were foreigners in Egypt. Psalm 146. Psalm 146, 5 through 9, we read, Blessed are those whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord their God. He is the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. He remains faithful forever. He upholds the cause of the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind and lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. He watches over the foreigner and sustains the fatherless and the widow. Do we see a recurring theme here? In case you don't, we're just going to do... One more, or two more. Zechariah 7, 9 through 10. Sorry. 
Zechariah 7, 9-10. We read, This is what the Lord Almighty said. Administer true justice. Show mercy and compassion to others. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the foreigner or the poor. Do not plot evil against others. And finally, Micah 6, 6 6-8. We read, With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before Him with burnt offerings? With calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with a thousand rams or ten thousand rivers of olive oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgressions, the fruit of my body for the sins of my soul? He has shown you, immortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require? To act justly. To love mercy. And to walk humbly with God. So I know I threw a lot of scripture at you guys, but what I was doing that to show you guys, because this is just a small sampling of times when Scripture talks about justice. And there's a few others up there that I skipped over as well that you can look at where justice is shown so obviously to be something that God cares deeply about. It's not something that is second, becomes second or third. Justice is at the forefront of again and again what God is teaching us in Scripture. So we have a problem because if this is something that God cares so heavily about, why is it that the church so often is on the wrong side of it? Why is it that so often throughout history the church is responsible for injustice and has a checkered history at best with fulfilling what God commands them to, that being the proclamation of the gospel, but through that bringing justice? I'm not going to try and give an exhaustive list but there's a few things that again and again we see, uh, we're not, not again and again, there's a few things throughout history where we see gross injustice on the part of the church. During the Holocaust, German Christians didn't stand up to Hitler and all too often were a party to the gross injustice that the Nazis were committing. The Crusades, the church sponsored war and honestly was seeking to advance its own power and not the gospel. It seemed to care about propping up its leaders and making itself more powerful than it did about what it was meant to. Slavery. Christians participated in all too often, expanded an institution that was completely atrocious, horrible, and unjust. And modern abuse. All too often the church remains apathetic and silent when we see abuse within our own walls and and we mock other churches when we see it occur there instead of seeking for restoration and love those who are hurting. We truly have a history that is checkered at best when it comes to injustice. So where does that leave us? A lot of you in this room, you you love the Lord, you love the church, but the church is messed up. So where does that leave us? If somebody asks you the question, isn't the church responsible for injustice? How can you be a Christian? How can you believe in a God that his people commit all these heinous acts? I think we need to be very careful how we respond to that. Because, partly, they're hitting at something that is accurate. The church has been responsible for injustice. So before we try and formulate a response, let's first seek to understand the person asking the question. There's very different 
mindsets that a person can be coming to you when they ask you this question. A person that, let's say they're an atheist and they're really, they're, they're coming at you with this question of, isn't the church responsible for injustice? That what, what's behind that, they might just be seeking to tear down all religion. They don't care about specifically Christianity. Their thesis would be that all religion is unjust. Okay, that's a, they have an intellectual objection to the church and religion as a whole. But for other people, it's very different. For some people, a lot of people, it's a lot more personal. They felt the personal sting of hypocrisy and abuse within the church. And when they're asking you this question, they're not looking for facts because they're hurting. So before you seek to be, un- to be understood, seek to understand the person asking the question. We're going to come back to that later. But for, for next, we're going to look at some solutions that some people might put forward to injustice throughout the church and religion in general. Some people are going to say, well, the church is unjust. Religion in general is unjust. Let's just get rid of it. Right? That, that, that might, for some people, sound like a rational thing to do. But people tried that. Communist Russia... China, Cambodia, way before that, the French Revolution. All of these were founded and tried. They they, they had this view of religion is bad. Let's try and be rational, secular people, and we'll get rid of all this injustice. Well, we, we see how horribly that failed. Millions of people died in these attempts. Many, even those who didn't die, massive numbers of their own people were mistreated by, non, by not just non-Christians, but non-religious people. So the solution isn't to just get rid of religion because the problem of abuse and the problem of injustice con- continues. So somebody else might say, well, okay, let's not get rid of religion, but what if everybody just held to their convictions a little bit more loosely? Not just Christians, all religions. They held, held to a more moderate faith in whatever God they say they believe in. In some cases, I would say, okay, that makes sense. Like, if you follow some of the teachings in some other world religions to their maximum conclusion, I would say, yeah, let's not do those things. We see Muslim extremism, Hindu extremism in India, where, yeah, a more moderate form of their faith may be better than a fanatical version of their faith. But does that same thing follow through for Christianity? I don't think it does. And let me give you an example to help draw this point. When your house is on fire, what do you do? You call 911, and they send the fire department. Okay? The fire department has been given specific training, and and they have sat under teaching of how to best fight fires. They've had tons of training, and they are ready to respond, and they know how to stop that fire. Now, what if one day your house was burning, or your neighbor's house was burning, and you call 911 for help? And the operator says, oh, I'm sorry, the, the fire department, they, they just learn about how to put out fires. They don't actually do it. Right, that, that sounds absurd. And I would say that is what it would be like for somebody to have, when, when they have a moderate faith in Christianity. They're actually expanding the problem. By not doing what they're supposed to and what they're trained to do and what they're taught to do, they actually make things worse. A moderate, non-committed Christian ultimately functions like a firefighter who just likes to learn about how to put out fires 
and never actually do it. And when we think back to those examples that I gave, the Holocaust, slavery, the Crusades, all these different forms of injustice that we see, I would submit to you guys that it's people who were just nominal Christians, just said, yeah, I I believe this, but never really acted on it, didn't really change their life, that were party to many of the injustices that we've seen throughout history. Think about the Holocaust. It wasn't those who were devoutly following the word of God who were party to the Nazis and what they were doing. No, people like Dietrich Bonhoeffer and other strong Christians stood up and refused to support what the Nazis were doing, and many of them lost their lives for it. In the Crusades, they twisted Scripture. They they didn't care what God was actually saying, but they used it to support what they were doing and to have excuses to expand their own power. Slavery. It wasn't an accurate reading of Scripture. Again, it was this twisting of Scripture to expand and to keep people enchained. And what would it end up being later on? It was people like in Britain, William Wilberforce, who came and was one of the most staunch abolitionists who passionately loved the Word of God, loved Jesus, and sought to set people free and eventually got rid of the institution of slavery. Many of the abolitionists here in America were devout Christians, not nominal Christians, twisting the Word of God to create more injustice and to create more power for themselves. Because you see, this, this whole problem isn't just something that's new to us. No, this is something that people have been doing for really all of history. Twisting truth and using religion and other means to gain power for themselves. It's one of the main things rebuked again and again in the Old Testament. As you look through your Bible, there's all these books that we don't really read. Like, you know... I've tried to read through Isaiah, and I've done it a couple times, but a lot of times we don't necessarily understand what it's saying, or Leviticus, or, these, or the books of law. It's either God setting up laws to protect people from injustice, or it's the rebuking of injustice in a lot of these cases. Or let's go to the New Testament. You guys are familiar with the Sermon at the Mount. It's one of Jesus' most famous sermons, starting in Matthew 5. We see that He begins with the Beatitudes. And the Beatitudes turn everything on their head. Because, you see, there was religious leaders in attendance, and there was people who who had nothing in attendance. And the people who had nothing in attendance would have looked at the religious leaders and thought that they were the ones that were going to be blessed. They were the ones who were faithful. Jesus started turning that on its head and said, no, it's the meek, it's the poor in spirit, it's those who mourn, they're going to be blessed. He went further, and he said, He talked about being salt and light in a dark world. It was about having true faith that made you different. He rebuked this idea of following rules without ever really having a changed heart. He was taking this idea of hypocrisy that he saw in the Pharisees and Sadducees and other religious leaders who were just using this as a way to get power and completely shredding it. He said, when you give, do it in secret. When you pray, do it in private. When you fast, don't make it obvious that ev- for everyone watching that you're some holier-than-thou religious leader. Because it wasn't about that. It was about a changed heart, a heart that desired the things that God desired. 
told them, don't judge others when you see them in sin. And what he was saying there wasn't to point out other people's sin, or wasn't not to point out other people's sin. It was, don't get prideful because you see that they're sinning and you're not sinning. Elsewhere in Scripture, we see that we're supposed to point out whenever we see our brothers and sisters who are sinning. We're supposed to go to them in love and say, I, I, I see you doing this thing and it's not right. And then if they don't receive that, take in a couple, couple more people who love them and aren't being prideful about it. And then to get more people involved if they don't respond to that. It was about a heart change. That's what Jesus, Jesus was teaching against this idea that holding people up because of how good of a life that they're living when their only desire is to gain more power. They don't really have a changed heart. It's about the heart change. So you might ask, well, what does a changed heart look like? What, what, is, what is it that if, if God looked at us and said, this is, this, is what you wanna, this is what you need to look like? Well, I would say Jesus. But let's look at Scripture and see some examples of what God might desire to see come from a changed heart in our own lives. Micah 6.8. We already read it. But we read these words. What does the Lord require of you? To act justly. To love mercy and to walk humbly with God. Love, mercy, humility. Maybe you want to go to the New Testament. You want, let's hear straight from Jesus on the issue. Matthew 23, 37 through 40. Um, the greatest commandments. I'm going to start a couple verses before that in verse 34. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, and tested him with these questions. Teacher, what is the greatest commandment of the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. That if we say that those things are the things that God desires in our life, and that a fanatical following of the Bible, of Jesus, would make us look more like that, are we really saying that doing those things moderately, that doing those things half-heartedly, would result in a better world than doing them with everything that we have? Giving our entire life to these things? Do, 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 we, do we think that? Because I, I think that's what the case would be for somebody that said, let's just all have a more moderate faith. Following out and desiring these things will res- result in less and less, just, or less and less injustice in the world, but not perfect, um, a perfect lack of injustice. And why is this true? Why, why is it that all these ways of life seem to lead to injustice? Because let's face it, like we've said, even the church continues to practice injustice. We fail at following these things out, right? I mean, I can't be the only one that, um, that sees how poorly the church follows this stuff out sometimes. It's because this is the goal. The goal is to be more and more like Jesus. And Jesus was living this out perfectly. But why, why is it that this is the case, that we, we can't do that, and that all these other ways of life with Millions of people in the world. Injustice continues to run rampant when, for the most part, most people want to see it stop. 
Well, because we, you see, man is corrupt. We, we, with sin in our lives, it's impossible. Let's look at Romans 3, 10 through 18. Um, to really, I think this passage really well diagnoses the problem uh, of why man left alone won't tend towards the things of God. Starting in verse 10, as it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They've together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are, shift, are, are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their way. And the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. The, the problem that all people have is that sin has made us like that. We don't desire the things of God on our own. We don't, and if the things of God are peace, mercy, humility, justice, then even, when, even if we think, oh, these are good things, and we try and accomplish them without God, we're still going to fail and end up making things worse. We won't be capable of living out mercy and justice and humility the way that God designed for them to be without fixing this problem. And thankfully for us, Jesus is the way to fix that problem. We have to have our hearts renewed by Jesus. It's the only way to fix this deep ingrained heart problem because yes, the church is responsible for injustice. But it also is the only way, but also through Jesus, who's at the center of Christianity, the center of the church, it's the only way to fix the injustice. Is religion responsible? Like we've said, yes, it is. The church is most definitely responsible. But there's a key difference between the world and the church. And that's at the core of the Christian faith stands Christ, who is in direct opposition to perpetrators of injustice and is calling us to repent when we ourselves are the ones committing acts of injustice. He is calling us to repent of our sins and to trust in him. And the day, day by day we can begin to be renewed by, his, by the Spirit of God as it works within us. Because a, a pursuit of religion or irreligion, it doesn't matter, is always going to result in more injustice. But a pursuit of Jesus will lead to an increasing desire for the things of God, an increasing desire for peace, for humility, for justice, for love. Not perfect, but day by day being perfected as the Spirit works within us. With that, I'm going to go ahead and turn it over to you guys in your, at your tables to go ahead and answer the questions that you guys have. Thanks, guys.